So this dish right here um, is actually a Japanese process known as kintsukuri. And uh, what this process is, I actually learned about this a little, a couple of years ago. Um, and it's a Japanese custom that where instead of throwing out broken pieces of pottery, so for example, if somebody, when this bowl was originally made, somebody would have accidentally dropped it or something and it fell on the ground. And what Japanese people do is instead of just throwing this bowl out, what they'll do is they'll actually repair it with gold, with silver, or with platinum. Um, and so they don't, so really the concept is, is that they're not trying to, you know, hide the brokenness. They're not trying to disguise it. But actually what they do is, is that they will take the cracks and they'll actually highlight those things. Because what they say is, is that it's a valuable piece of the history of this bowl. And because of that, they want to highlight it and actually allow it to create some beauty. So um, cra the cracks in the bowl are considered an event in the life of the dish rather than render that piece of pottery worthless. And actually what I found out, which is really interesting, is in many cases that once these pieces of pottery are broken and they're inlaid with gold or with silver or whatever it is, that they actually become more valuable um, because of their uniqueness or other people will actually buy them because of their story. And so the price will increase surprisingly after the dish was broken rather than before. Strange. Now, if you've never heard of kintsukuri, I think that's how you say it. It's Japanese, so forgive me. Uh, or maybe you don't know why we're talking about ceramic bowls in church. Um, but I realized as we walk through life that a lot of us are like these ceramic dishes. And I think that a lot of times as we have gone through the difficult seasons of our life, the kind of the journeys that we've been on, a lot of the times I've discovered is that we think that our cracks damage us, that they render us useless or broken, that they, the scars in our life from the traumas in our past, a lot of the times we feel as though they wreck us beyond repair, that they render us to the place where, and I hear it said so many times by so many people, that they feel as though their life could never move forward the way that it was supposed to go because of the different things that each of us have experienced in our life. But science has actually discovered that going through difficult seasons is actually good for us. It says that where a lot, some people, you, we've heard it so often uh, stated about PTSD, right? Most people have heard of that, post-traumatic stress disorder. And while this is very real and uh, absolutely there's a lot of people that deal with it, Science has coined another term, and it's called post-traumatic growth. And what post-traumatic growth is, is that it's actually a syndrome that people get when their life gets better because of the traumatic situations and the different things that have, they've gone through in their life. Now, this is, and obviously we know, and I'm sure that we know people, and maybe there's things in our own life where... We've gone through situations or circumstances and now as a result of those things feel as though our life is challenged. And so I'm not saying that everything that we go through is good. What I'm saying is, is that everything we go through can be good as long as we understand how to rightfully and properly navigate through the 
post-season of the experience that we go through, okay? So, um, so this is what it says, that research says that when properly dealt with, people can actually experience positive psychological growth from difficult times. And this is what people are reported of experiencing. So this is, remember, this is someone who goes through a challenging time in their life, a trauma, something that would, in most cases, scar you, would make you feel damaged or broken. When properly dealt with, this is what people are saying. People reported things such as a deeper sense of self and purpose, a greater appreciation for life and loved ones, an increased capacity for altruism, empathy, and a desire to act for the greater good. Okay, and studies tell us that this is the thing that we, that, that can sometimes be a challenge, and I think that where we are sometimes in church and in church culture, is science makes it very clear that as we're going through challenging situations, the key is that we cannot deny that things are happening in our life. Okay, now this is kind of a guy thing that, you know, it didn't actually happen to me. I cried a lot, um, and my parents pretty much embraced it. They kind of, they put me in hockey to hopefully toughen me up. You know, maybe if I got body checked enough times, it would make me a little bit stronger. Uh, but one of the things that science says is that the strength that we get as we walk through situations doesn't come because we deny them or we blindly try to pretend that nothing is happening. In fact, the strength comes when we approach the negative situation in our life head on. And we actually begin to challenge the challenge that's happening in our life. Okay? Because sometimes we can feel that way. Like I said with guys, you know, where guys are said, you know, you know boys don't cry. You know, people have heard that. And I think that that was kind of a previous generation thing than my generation. I think that now it's boys do cry and it's okay to cry as a boy. And in fact, you probably should cry. And so it's a little bit different now. But I think that what it was historically has been this place where it's a denial of the inner reality of what's happening around you. But what science is quickly beginning to expose to us is that the door to being happy isn't that we just deny everything that's happening in our life. But in fact, what we do is, is we begin to challenge the challenge. We begin to address the negative things that are happening in our life head on. And when I do that and I respond to that, it actually produces life. Now, it's not a license to just dwell in the land of negativity, okay? Because this is something you'll quickly know, probably from your own life. I say it all the time. You can't get in a bad enough mood for that mood to make its way around to be in a good mood, right? And so you can't dwell on the negative and expect that somehow out of that, a positive is going to come. But what we have to do is we have to become comfortable in challenging the situations, the negative situations that are in our life so that we give those things the opportunity to strengthen us, to grow us, to challenge us, or to discover in us what is that thing that's allowing my buttons or my triggers to be pressed, okay? Now, this is the thing, is that so many people go through negative situation and trauma scars them, it scars us that it taints our view of life and it steals so often our ability or our perceived ability to be happy. I talk to so many people who walk around and will 
say to me that they can't be happy because of something that happened in their past. They went through a situation 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and now are still, because they've, they've kind of camped out there, they're still allowing their happiness or their life experience to be drawn from that negative place. Instead of what we're going to talk about tonight is, is that I need to go there. I need to go and find out why am I being bothered or challenged and not just camp out there, but actually begin to deal with those things so they no longer have the ability to drag me back down into those negative environments, okay? We often, you know, you've heard the song, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, you know? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, okay? That's why I play the drums, I don't sing. But the thing that I've realized is that that's not actually true because there's a lot of people who have gone through difficult situations and it hasn't actually made them stronger. And so I want to reiterate that it's not that we live our life and we seek out challenges because somehow we want our life to be so negative that out of it it turns positive. It's by no means is that what I'm saying. We don't seek out the devil or seek out challenges in order to make us stronger. However, when we go through challenges, if we can, like I said, properly understand how to navigate the waters, it actually in our life is going to produce the life, the peace, the happiness that we so desire. And not surprising is that in Romans chapter 5, we realize that God, this is the thing about the Bible, man. The Bible is wildly practical. And I'm reading studies about, you know, this post-traumatic acceleration and realize essentially what they're doing is they're just quoting to me Romans chapter 5. Because this is what I realized. God made the body. And it made our brains and our minds. And it, God created all of those things. And so it's taken science thousands of years to figure out something that Paul figured out in Romans chapter 5. Just a few years after Jesus died. It says this very clearly. Therefore, oh actually I'm going to read it in the New Living. Because that's what you have up there. It says this, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. Peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Okay? And verse 3 is where it gets sometimes a little bit challenging and we don't necessarily like to hear it. Paul says this, we can rejoice too. So what he's saying is, is like, you know, when God is just showing up in your life and all the good things are happening, it's easy to rejoice. And now Paul is addressing, and, and I think that for some of us, probably the other 50% of our life where we're walking through difficulties. And he says to us, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. That's a strange fact. You know, talk about perspective when we think about this is, I know how to rejoice when things are good. But what Paul is telling us is just as equally as I can rejoice when things are good, I can also rejoice when things, when I run into problems and trials, when I properly understand how to navigate the waters and turn this trial into something that's beneficial. So Paul says it like this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. 
And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope that's developed through the problems and the trials, this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know God, how God loves us dearly, because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so we quickly see right away that this idea, this post-traumatic acceleration, this post-traumatic strength, we realize very quickly that the Bible has already expressed this to us. That what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that we don't have to worry in our life when things aren't going the way we think they're supposed to go. Or when we wake up one morning and we face a difficulty or a challenge or somebody nowadays, you know, the word is triggers us and we go through a situation and we don't like what someone said or they did or maybe somebody did something five or ten years ago is what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that we don't have to camp out there. We don't have to wait there or sit there. We don't have to allow that experience in our life to weigh out or control the way that we view our future. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that when I understand how to rightly navigate my trouble and I walk it through the process to hope, we know that eventually the Bible tells us that hope is the very thing that creates the picture that faith uses in order to create our future. And so in fact what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that unless I walk and I'm willing to walk through challenges and difficulties, the very substance that I need to build my future on can't be developed. And the crowd says, Whoa. I thought it was all rainbows and butterflies and, you know, we're going to just skip and dance through life. And it's like, yes, that's true. That God, the Bible says he's always with us, but it's realizing that God, like, the, like what David talks about, is that God is with us just as much in our up moments as our down moments, and that the perspective of heaven is realizing that God will walk with me, and he'll give me the grace and the strength, and a lot of the times, the challenges that I bump up against in life, the only reason I'm bumping up against them, the Bible says, you know, we, I've been talking about this scripture lately, is, is that God won't let us go through anything that he doesn't already make a way of escape for us. And the very fact that God allows us to go through these things is simply because he understands that maybe it's the character that we need or the hope that we need in order to succeed in the future that we want to succeed in. Those things are created as we learn how to rightly walk through challenges and difficulties. Now, so often what can happen is, and we're going to talk about it, and ushers, you guys can pass those, the little uh, pieces of paper out that I have. So often what can happen is, and why sometimes I think we feel so negative or so challenged by difficulties, is simply because we don't understand rightly how to take that challenge or that difficulty and walk it through to the place where it actually produces fruit in my life. I talk about this example all the time, that I've gone through this, and I know that each and every one of you have gone through this situation, well, you're going through something and in the moment you feel as though there's no good that can possibly come from this challenge that I'm experiencing right now. 
that it's hard or it's difficult or it's challenging. And often it's accompanied by statements like, God, where are you? Or like Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? As we feel as though God has left us to rot in this challenge. And then it's not but six or seven short months later, maybe a year or two, that you look back and now what seemed as though it was this challenge that there's no possible way that any good could come from this. You look back at that very situation and are thanking God that he allowed you to go through it because of what it did and created, what it fortified or strengthened on the inside of you. It's funny how that happens. I talk about the beginning of my preaching career, if you'd call it that, all the time, about how was this embarrassing, like absolutely shameful display of public speaking. It was my mom rescuing me or my dad coming up and trying to somehow mitigate the disaster that I had just done. Sometimes preaching messages that when I look back now thinking, how on earth did I think this was a good thing to talk about? In the moment, I can remember going on the long walks with God where I quit or I complained or I challenged his very existence that now as I look back just a short 10 years later, I realized that the foundation that God built my ministry on was in the moment the challenge that I thought no good could come from this. And this is where we all are, where we all find ourselves, because each and every one of us goes through things. In fact, I would be so bold as to say each and every one of us are going through something right now. That when you walk through these doors, there was a text message, a phone call, an email. There was a challenge, there was a trial, a problem that each and every one of us were facing. And each one of us has the opportunity in these moments to respond rightly and begin to grow in response to the challenge that we're feeling. And so you have a piece of paper in your hand, and I wanna, what I wanted to do was try to do my very best to break down from my research and the different things that I had studied from scriptures and from different scientific reports, what does the process look like? If, if it is true that my future is determined by how well I can get through the challenge that I'm facing right now, if the foundation of my future is built in this moment, I want to know. I don't know about you, but I'm like that. I want to know how do I go through this problem well so that I don't have to face it again? Because you know that I, I, I've, I've done that so many times in my life, man. I have created so many problems for myself because I refuse to rightly respond to the challenge that was at hand. Now I'm trying to figure out the easiest, the quickest, and the best way to get through things. So I only have to deal with them one time. And so this is what I've discovered is, is that it's actually fairly simple. As we begin to take the ownership in our life for the challenges that we face and understand how to practically walk those things through from challenge to solution. Now the very first thing that you have to do, and it's the very first column there that you'll use as we talk about what to do with this, is you have to begin to identify in your life, what are the issues? What are the things that you're facing? What are some of the unresolved issues that you are contending against in your life? What are the things that happened in your past that it feels as though you just can't get past those things? 
Maybe it's something that's happening right now. Like you just walked in and you had an argument with your friend. Maybe it's an old issue that involves somebody else. Like you, I don't know, you ran over your neighbor's cat or something that only involves you. Maybe it was that you stole a chocolate bar when you were a kid. But these funny issues in life that plague us and drag us down and the enemy uses as easy targets in us to try to slow us down from running after the plan that God has for us. We all have those things. When we wake up in the morning, we go to bed at night, we're doing our very best and the enemy slips that thing and reminds us about that one time you did that one thing and how could you think that God could use you because you did that one thing? So in this first column, that's what we'll list, is what are the issues? What are the things that we're contending with in life? Because like I said, in order to grow from the challenges in our life, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that we have, to, we have to acknowledge them, that I have to understand how to convert this challenge or this problem that I'm facing. I actually have to begin to manipulate it and mold it, and I have to begin to try to understand it and why is it here and what is it making me feel on the inside and why are the, these issues facing in my life? I can't just deny it and hope that it goes away. It's like a bill that, you know, they keep sending the notices in the mail and you keep filing them. You know, I've done that before. I just can't even bring myself to look at it and you keep filing it. You know, the problem is, is that eventually the bills don't go away, right? They turn your power off, you know? And I think that sometimes in our life, what we've experienced is the power, the proverbial power has been turned off on a lot of our dreams, has been turned off on a lot of our desires, that we find ourselves in places in our life where the power has been turned off and a solution seems as though it's impossible. But I'm here tonight to give us some good news is to realize that no issue is so far gone that God cannot provide a solution, that God does his best work at our lowest points. His miraculous, miracle-working power operates best in situations that appear to be impossible. And so what I have to do is I simply have to identify the issue. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe it's an issue with your spouse or with your child or who knows what it is. I first have to identify what are the things that I'm going through. Now, number two, you're going to see in column number two, this is probably the most challenging part of the walk through the process. The question that's posed there is, who are you blaming? Who are you blaming? Because it's funny. It's funny how in life, I don't know about you, but I could speak for myself. It's funny how when something negative happens in my life, the very, it's like the automatic reaction. My first response, I, I, I know I'm believing it's going to get to be where I like run to God and I'm like, God, I know that you got this solution and I'm working on that. But so often our very first response can be to try to find someone or something to blame. You know, it's like, I've done that before. Like you, I, I, I've done it. Oh God, so many times it's embarrassing. Like I, for example, like I'll dent my dad's car. I don't know how many, like eternally sorry for the amount of cars that I have done stupid things to do. But it's funny how I hit the car. Like the car is parked and it is not moving. It has been there for the last six hours, but somehow it's my dad's fault for parking that car too close to the car that I'm driving. 
You know, as we do funny things like that all the time where we are looking for people to blame. Now, the reality is, is while in the moment it feels good to try to shift the responsibility to somebody else, when I blame, it keeps me stuck in the problem that I'm facing. That it's important to acknowledge who we are holding hostage in our minds. And often, if I could be honest with a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of the time, there's a lot of people who have unforgiveness towards themselves, where they're holding themselves hostage because of the thing that they did, the person that they hurt, the problem that they created. And now they're keeping themselves stuck back in the issue instead of letting them go free. I heard it said like this, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That somehow we feel as though by holding it that it's doing something, that we're holding them hostage. But the reality is, is that the only person who's experiencing the negative from that unforgiveness is me. And so I have to identify that. Who am I blaming for the situations that I'm going through and understand how to take ownership. Because I've realized that what unforgiveness does is that unforgiveness keeps me bound to the situation that I've gone through. That it's, it's as if it keeps the wound alive. That whenever I see that person, whenever I feel that emotion, it's as if I go through that same trauma, even though it happened 15 years ago. And I watch this happen in people's lives. I've watched this happen in my own life. Instead, what we have to do is realize that there's nothing behind us that's worth sacrificing what's ahead of us. And so often, the very thing that keeps us stuck in our past is that we're holding unforgiveness towards people that's actually holding me hostage to the situation that I went through. I've also learned this, is that I need the most forgiveness. You notice what I've realized is that things that I want to hold unforgiveness for towards other people, if I'm honest with myself, I've done the same thing or something very similar in nature to what they did towards me that I may be mad because of something negative that they said to me, but if I'm honest with myself, I too have said a lot of negative things about other people. And the Bible tells me that the way that I receive forgiveness, the way that I'm able to forgive myself, is that I extend forgiveness towards others. And so I realize that there's no good that comes from holding unforgiveness towards people. It keeps me stuck, it keeps me angry, it keeps me bitter, it keeps me wounded. Instead, what I want to do is I want to identify, I don't want to blame anybody for the things that have gone on around me. I realize that God, I may not understand this and I may not understand why I went through it, but what I do know is that God is good and the word says that he turns everything around for my good. And so instead of holding people hostage for what they've done in my life, I'm gonna release forgiveness and allow God to come in and transition that thing from something negative into something positive. Because this is what God does. But when I hold unforgiveness, 
It's like I hold the wound and I refuse God to come in and turn that thing into something good. Now, none of us want that, but the reality is, I, I was reading recently in scripture, the passage that's where Jesus said to forgive 70 times seven. And as I was just meditating on it, because I knew that though he was doing something there, he was speaking to me, for so long, I've always thought about it, that you forgive 70 times seven, like as if somebody would do 490, which is 70 times seven, 490 individual negative acts towards you. And I'm thinking, why would you be still be friends with someone if they've like done 490 things that you have to intentionally forgive them for? I mean, like maybe four or five, but not 490. But when I thought about it and what the Lord began to speak to me about was that it's not that it's 490 individual acts, but sometimes you have to forgive someone 490 times for the one thing that they did. It's realizing that sometimes forgiveness isn't just something that I extend one time, but it's a road that I walk down. Because I think that sometimes what can happen is, is we feel as though I forgave them. I prayed a prayer one time and I forgave them, but it's just not gone. Instead of realizing is that forgiveness may in fact be a lifelong journey that you walk towards someone because of something negative that they did to you. It's realizing that I may have to forgive them every moment of every day. But even if that was the truth, I would rather do that than be held hostage to that negative situation and allow it to hold me back from the destiny that God would have me to walk towards. Number three, it's realizing what are the consequences if I don't address this? Now, I've said before, I'm a two on the Enneagram. If you know what the Enneagram is, I'm a two. And one of the things about the two on the Enneagram is I, like hate is an understatement. I loathe, maybe is a better word. I loathe confrontation, okay? Like I despise intensely, hate vehemently confrontation. I would rather cut my arm off than tell someone they hurt my feelings. That probably adequately describes it. I hate confrontation. But I've had to, and it's a constant process for me because of my personality, I've had to remind myself that the consequences of not addressing the issue are worse than the momentary discomfort that I'm going to feel of beginning to walk down the road to begin to extend forgiveness. That sometimes the consequences in our life by not addressing things may be big, like bankruptcy or a divorce. And sometimes they could be small, like I, my boss said something mean to me, and now I don't want to go to work anymore. It can be big and it can be small, but it's realizing that we are the ones who have control over the way we feel about things in our life. This is actually what Danielle and I have discovered. Um, Danielle and I, so I'm not confrontational, except when it comes to Danielle. For, for some reason, like, I throw my two out the window, and we could go at it. And this is how we spent the beginning of a lot of our relationship, is, is I didn't really understand how to have an argument well, and I thought arguments were about winning. 
Instead of, I heard that, this is an amazing quote that I heard, is that when you argue with someone, it's not you against that person, but it's you and that person against the situation. Isn't that so good? It's real, and, 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 but I was all about winning. It was, I would do whatever was necessary in order to win this argument, and if that meant that I would like be mean and nasty, hey, you know, a win is a win, and I was going to win. But since then, we've grown and we've learned, and, and now it's funny how we can go through challenging situations, and we could be like upset or bothered, but we've come to this place where we realize that being upset isn't worth like ruining our night even. And we've learned what it feels like to just like let things wash away, that we're not going to be bothered because I, it's not worthwhile for me to have the consequence of even having a bad night by engaging in this in some negative way. And so I don't want to experience the consequences, but sometimes I have to be aware of the fact that I'm going to have, if we continue to fight like this, we're going to ruin our night. And I don't want to ruin my night. And so because of that, okay, we need to figure out how to make this work. But if we're not aware of the consequences of what this is doing in our life, sometimes we're living in a life full of consequences and we don't understand why our life is so challenging. And that's simply because we don't understand how to navigate through the difficulties that we're experiencing in our life. Sometimes we could be so caught up in the emotion that we fail to see the consequences of the situations that we are creating. Number four. What's the opportunity if I do fix this? So you're saying that you can follow along in your thing? This is actually a chart that you can use in the future, and I'll, I'm going to encourage you all to use it because it's a great practice, a mental practice to get into to understand how to walk yourself through. So what is the opportunity if I fix this? What would my life look like if I stopped struggling with this issue? What would be possible if I chose maybe to let this hurt go, to release this unforgiveness, to stop beating myself up? It's valuable to see what we can have is worth more than what happened. I think that sometimes because of the negative emotions or the feelings in the situation, we could be so much more fixated on the negative that we're feeling rather than the positive that can happen when we choose to walk through the the situation. When I see what I'm letting go of, oh, when I see that by letting go, I cut the strings that have kept me bound, the very thing that I desire becomes tangible, and I start to walk towards that thing. That I simply sometimes just have to realize that this is the thing that I can have that I can have peace in my marriage, that I can have a relationship with my child, that I can enjoy going to work, that I can enjoy being around these people, that I can feel hopeful about my future. And all I simply have to do is begin to set my eyes and fix my attention on that thing rather than the negative that I'm experiencing. And then the fifth column is this, and I'm done. I have to know what can I do to fix this. And this is where we plan. Because can I tell you something? There is always something that we can do. The Bible makes it very clear that we are not victims. It goes on to tell us that we are overcomers, that we are victorious, we are strong, we are destined for greatness. And when I begin to see that I hold the power in my life to the happiness that I experience, that no situation in my life can hold me hostage No person, no problem, no issue, no challenge can hold me hostage or control the experience of my life. When I realize that, 
I now become fixated on finding solutions to fixing the problems that I'm in rather than just sitting down idly and allowing those things to control my life. And the challenge sometimes can be that this stage requires action. And that's what I'm going to challenge you with as we close with this little chart that you have is not to just tuck it away or file it away into some spot, but maybe you don't use this particular chart, but you begin to address, actually address some of the challenges that you're going through life and watch as very simply we begin to come up with very real, very easy solutions that we watch as God gives us the wisdom and the understanding that he opens up creative strategies and ideas for us to walk through what we felt like maybe was a solution that wasn't fixable and realize that we invite the Holy Spirit into those situations in our life. The Bible says that he is an ever-present help in our time of need. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the strategies and the wisdom that you give us in your word to understand how we can walk through challenges in our life, but we don't have to allow those challenges to define us. But then when we walk through them, they become the very building blocks that we build the glorious destiny that you have set before us. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that understands. Lord, that we aren't walking through things so that they can take us out, but we're walking through things because you've destined those very things that we thought are here to hurt us. You've destined those things to be the very things that challenge us and change us to become more to the image and likeness of your son, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, right now I'm asking that you would release to us all the grace that's necessary to live in, operate in, succeed in, and walk through every situation that we may be facing in our life. We invite your help, Holy Spirit, to come and shine a light to the path to our freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.